0: Welcome, Dr. James Beckett Sports Card Insights. I want to thank my sponsors, Top Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins & Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So here's uh, an episode for your listening enjoyment.
1: There's a lot of connections with football, NFL, college, and soccer in terms of, you know, you're seeing a lot of cases in soccer because of headers and
0: everything else. I have a cousin, passed away now, but he's a little bit younger than me, but he played for the U.S. National team Paralympics. Okay. Okay. He had been in the Coast Guard or the Navy when he was in his late teens, early 20s, and had suffered an injury that gave him disability points. But he was a big guy, really fit, and was a really good soccer player in high school. So he went out for the Paralympic team and was captain and did some great stuff. Like I said, he's passed away now. But he'd had a brain injury and yet he was the midfielder and he was 64 he ruled the midfield right. from up in the air but he had a brain injury and i'm just thinking what's wrong with this picture but it was a different kind of brain injury but your head is a weapon in soccer yeah and that's now getting some attention it's not just football players that are getting the traumatic brain injury these are tough games they're for people that have great skill and and hopefully understand the flow of the game and enjoy the game so soccer the patterns of the game and if you like hockey They're very similar. If you sit in the same part of the stands, you sit behind the goal in soccer or hockey or midfield for soccer, you see the flow of the game differently and you see the plays develop and you see the defense assembling and all that stuff. I played enough sports just to (laughs) know how to talk about it and and to know... Right. To know my limits. I mean, I scored a few goals, probably right. let a few in, but because uh, <laughs> I was a midfielder in soccer, but soccer wasn't as big in those days, but right. Right. I just, my only move was to kick it out to the side, and run around the guy. I had no moves. I, I had speed and endurance, but not ball skills. But now lots of kids are playing. And so that's why there's hope for soccer really coming on even stronger. In the future. And-
1: the U.S. has a much bigger pool to draw from. And if a country like Uruguay has three million people can win the World Cup twice, a country of 350 million would hope can produce something. The argument always is you know, soccer is not everyone's first choice here. And that's the real issue. Well,
0: the other problem, and it's like the same argument with liberal arts, you're not allowed to have a second choice in high school. Everyone- so that's why my position is that everybody should do some liberal arts, not necessarily four years. But if you're not taking a course in kind of creative writing and reading and, and some of these other things, so a little bit of philosophical framework and worldview. Okay. Everybody has faith in something. Everybody has a worldview based on something They make certain assumptions of how the world works, why we're here, what has meaning. I think the culture is going the wrong way. They say, well, you don't want to talk about that. In fact, really it's what should be talked about with respect that people can have different opinions. If I talk to somebody that's an opinion different than I do, I can have the posture of thinking I'm going to convince him that I'm right. Or I can have the posture to think, I wonder what that person knows or what they think that's different than what I think. And maybe that'll help me to either solidify or question something that I believe because a lot of life decisions are not based on facts. You got a master's degree from Columbia. Yes. I'm here to tell you, you're the second most famous hobby person with a degree from Columbia. Because Rich Klein went to Columbia undergraduate, Uncle Rich, so I don't know if you've listened to Rich, but Rich went to Columbia and it's a great, uh, great school, obviously. But if if somebody was a journalism uh, major and wanted to work in the hobby, would you be optimistic for them? Would you say, hey, do what I do or be teaching and and doing some other things or too much of content is free now?
1: I've been teaching now five years, but I spent 20 before that actually doing it. I think journalism is one of those professions like a plumber, carpenter, as a trade, you must go out and do it. reading about it is not good enough obviously i would recommend whether they want to get into the hobby or 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 sports journalism or business it doesn't really matter i agree with you that content has become increasingly cheaper if not free but good journalism costs money and i think a lot of places have realized that i think places are trying to figure out how to monetize but you have to be creative you have to be entrepreneurial we teach entrepreneurial journalism in our program because we know that the whole point is hey As a journalist, it's not just good enough to go to work, do your job and go home. The newsroom is an incubator for new ideas. Your salary can go up if you can come up with new ideas to monetize content. And the truth is people are willing to pay for information that they can't get anywhere else. The Wall Street Journal has a paywall, but they're one of the most read newspapers in the country because they have information and news that you really can't find anywhere else. If you can do that in any line of work, whether it's the hobby or sports, like The Athletic is a good example. People are paying for it because it's really good and they can't live without it. It reminds me a little bit when I was in high school, I read your Magazine. I used to get the hockey one in the mail. I used to read the National every day, which was a wonderful idea, a sports daily. I was spoiled. I lived in New York City. We had sports pages or full of stuff. But we have to teach younger people to get into the habit of reading. This is one of the best businesses you're ever going to get into. Never a dull day. Over the course of time, you can do a lot of traveling, meet lots of famous people. You know, I used to go to parties. When I was younger, people were like, oh, you're a journalist and you've met this person it's so great. And I was like, look, I'm just doing a job. I want to tell stories. I want to report. I want to tell people what's going on in the world. You get beyond the whole starstruck thing too after a while. I did a piece recently for Sports Collectors Digest on trade nights and I got to interview Andre Dawson and it was great. I grew up watching him play, even though I wasn't a Cubs fan or an Ex-Pos fan. I watched him growing up and just sat with him for 20 minutes. We talked about the hobby, about baseball, I was able to tell a good story that maybe people will read and be informed. And so absolutely, I recommend this profession. And publishing is so varied now. It's social media, it's marketing, the lines are really blurred now. And everyone has to be a communicator. I think of your podcast, there's so many podcasts out there, people just start them with very little training in some cases.
0: How do you explicitly encourage your students toward entrepreneurial journalism or the creative aspect. Do you do
1: case method? Absolutely. We study places like BuzzFeed, Axios, all these news organizations that really just generally in the last 10, 20 years, they've existed. They didn't exist 30 years ago. They're not legacy media, the New York Times or ABC or CBS. But in a lot of cases, places like Axios, Politico, BuzzFeed, The Athletic, they have more readership than the old guys because they've been able to innovate. They're digital natives. So we tell our students, hey, but if you work at the New York Times, come up with an innovative idea. Or if you work at a new place, especially when you're young, they have social media as part of their diet. They grew up with it. We did it. We have to sort of learn it. They, it's all around them. And so in that sense, what we do in that class is we do case studies, a final project, we do like a shark tank, what we call a dolphin tank, because we're much nicer. They come up with an idea. In some cases, those ideas, if they ever wanted to try them out in the real world, probably could work, or they could be part of something at their future job. We don't want to do just theory. We want to do real world stuff.
0: You're at King's College. So do you tie this back to the Judeo-Christian worldview, the aspect that we're made in the image of God and God was a creator? So we're made to create, and it's all through the Old Testament, New Testament, that at least two of the three monotheistic religions of the world believe that creating is an aspect that, that there's something holy about it.
1: Absolutely. That idea permeates through, I think, everything we do at the school. But definitely, if it's your calling to do journalism, you do it. You want to do religious journalism, that's one thing. You want to do political journalism, it's another. right? You want to be entrepreneurial. I and mean, these are all things that I think you're right. Our school has a big philosophy program, a business program, a political one. That permeates throughout whatever major you have. Absolutely. I grew up reading your magazine. I still have that number one issue, Wayne Gretzky, on the cover. I think what you were doing then was really trailblazing, of course, now, 30 years later, there's eBay and other stuff. You can come up with an innovative idea, but you have to constantly be innovating. You consult with lots of people, I know, but what's the advice you're giving young people who want to create content?
0: Find a niche. Find something that isn't being done. If it's not being done because it's impossible, because people told me it's impossible, it might have been impossible to do it the way they thought it had to be done, but it wasn't impossible for me to do it the way I thought I could make a contribution. You become a person of value. You add value. You serve then people like that. If there's a void in the marketplace and you can create something that improves the situation for your customer, somebody says, hey, this is helpful. I felt like I was having to continually innovate, but from our discussion, I'm the Joe Montana guy, not the Tom Brady guy because I'm mainly last century. But Joe Montana was a savant in terms of reading defenses, and so is Brady. But they had to deal with different coverage situations. They found a way to be a winner. I tell young people that I meet with, don't expect to go through life undefeated, but you're a winner. You're going to win more than you lose. But Tom Brady didn't win every time. John Ted didn't win every time. Michael Jordan didn't win every time. Sometimes he missed the buzzer beater. But more often than other people, those guys came through. Most of the people I deal with, I believe, are winners, and they cannot let themselves be defined by one setback. That setback may show you what to do different that sets you on a winning streak.
1: They were men of their times. So what was the inspiration for? a price guide. Was it the business pages, stock tables, the agate and, and sports pages? How does someone say, hey, you know what, this would be really useful for all of us to know how much this card costs this month?
0: was a dealer at the card shows. Nobody knew. People were already asking me. They knew I had a PhD in statistics. They said, why don't you do something? I'd already done some price surveys and I knew it was a complicated problem, but it was not insurmountable. Most of these others that have done things in the last few years here have focused on the higher end, but they're trying to meet a market need. I didn't do it to make money. I just thought, There needs to be a more comprehensive price guide that puts people on an even playing field, and I can do that. I'm not sure how long it's going to take me, but I know I can do that, and uh, we'll go from there.
1: If you started out two years ago, the idea would be an app, obviously. It wouldn't be a magazine. It wouldn't be a print thing. It would be, oh, it's got to be digital. It's got to be real time. The the
0: digital aspect now, it's not the problem in the presentation of the data that needs to be digital, because that's already that was always there, it was in print or in digital. The problem is the real-time ability to recalc. In fact, when I started, I didn't even know that there was VisiCalc, the predecessor of Excel. You barely even had spreadsheets. So I was doing a lot of very primitive stuff. As the tools improved, the job got bigger and bigger. I was able to keep up for quite a while. Then there came a time when I hired a bunch of people and we just threw a lot of labor at it. Now the data is easy to find, but still hard to analyze. Because it's inexact, it's misspecified, or the condition sensitivity is still not explicit enough that all sevens are not sevens. And so it's a bigger challenge now. I provided a foundation, and I think I'm a 20th century guy. So I want to be a cheerleader for the leaders of the 21st century, as is your calling at the university where you are. There are future leaders who are going to take things to great heights, and I'd like to influence the influencers. You're doing the same thing. Absolutely. Okay, soccer. Is that your primary love? That is
1: my primary love. It's my first love. My parents are immigrants from Italy, and I think they transmitted that love to me growing up here in the United States. I was born in New York, international city. I grew up near the UN, kids from all over the world. And it's funny, soccer was pretty dormant in the 80s here after the NASL collapsed. But in our own little bubble, soccer was still the number one sport because We were just trying to watch stuff that was happening back home. Trust me, back then it was really hard to do that. No apps or streaming services. Cable TV, it was like shortwave radios, maybe games in Spanish on Univision or Telemundo. It wasn't anything like today, but it made it much harder. You had to go and buy day-old newspapers that were flown here from Europe.
0: Okay, make the case for why people like me should be more serious about collecting soccer. It's the biggest sport in the world, but how would I go about getting to the next level of involvement and how would you encourage people to uh, take their interest in sports and add soccer to it or take their interest in soccer and add card collecting to it and is your book going to be just more scholarly about the history of the world cup
1: i'm a big evangelizer of soccer i have been but in that way soccer in the 80s and 90s was a little like dungeons and dragons very niche very small and it it becomes ubiquitous and everyone kind of jumps on the bandwagon and i think the internet helped do that and uh, streaming services that obviously brought more games into people's homes. That's funny, I grew up buying baseball and hockey cards at my local stationery store. And then I would go to Italy every summer and buy Panini stickers. And the two were never in my mind one hobby. It was almost two separate worlds. In the mid-2015, 16, 17, these two worlds started melding together. I was going to shows and seeing Panini stickers that were slabbed. I had never seen that in the 90s, for example suddenly that the hobbies got closer together they were for the first time real soccer cards like real sets being put out I always tell people if you're going to watch soccer it's huge it's global so you have to treat every domestic league in Europe like you're watching a different conference in college football let's say and you look you can't watch every game this past weekend we had 40 games on tv and they're all streaming somewhere you're not going to watch all of them you're going to watch the Premier League or Serie A or whatever then you're going to constantly be checking in to see what's happening in the other leagues Fortunately, Panini puts out lots of different sets And some of these big names resonate with Americans now. Messi, Ronaldo, but not just those names. Neymar and others. And so much so that I think people are trying to go back in time to find, hey, what's out there of Pele's? Like, what sets exist with Pele on it? Or what sets exist with Maradona? Americans aren't rediscovering this hobby. They're almost discovering it for the first time. Things that Europeans have been buying for decades suddenly have some value here. I think with the World Cup coming... Absolutely. The values will go up. Interest will peak. I hope someone watches the World Cup and then doesn't stop watching soccer when the World Cup is over. They stick around.
0: Somebody that's your age that had a very similar experience, that's ultra famous and just recently passed away. Kobe Bryant, absolutely, pretty close to your age. Spent summers in Italy. Was big on the Panini stickers. Actually, had his own basketball cards. Right, beginning in '96 or whatever. That's a really cool thing to share with Kobe Clemente.
1: Absolutely, I was a Kobe fan because of his. I, I call it Italian roots. He's not Italian. He obviously. was
0: Panini spokesman more because right. of the stickers than because of the other things.